Um, and, the, and the verse says, They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And I suppose the first question, haha. Hey, here we go. There it is. Come back again. There it was. I'll have a battle with you. It's playing up. Okay. Who is they? They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Who's they? Well, I guess it must be. You know, I think it must be. If you, it doesn't say, but it must be. If you look what goes before, the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the prisoner, the mourning. All of those that went before in this list. You know, good news being preached to the poor, binding up the brokenhearted, captives being released, prisoners being able to see out of their darkness, those who mourn, those who grieve. Okay, all of us, in fact, and in fact, it's gone below the screen. I think that's okay. All of us who um, have come to Jesus, because you know everybody is poor in in a spiritual sense. Unless we know Jesus, unless He has come into our lives, we are we're living in a state of spiritual poverty. Now. Yes, it also means the poor. Jesus has a great heart for the poor, uh, those who don't have much in this world. And, and he cares about the, the broken-hearted. He tells us to care for the prisoner. You know, as a society, we need to be compassionate and caring and praying for our prisoners uh, and for those who mourn and those who grieve. Mary, did you go out yesterday with the soup run? Yeah, busy? 23 people. 23 people fed uh, on Western Bridge by people in the church here last night. Um, that's great. It's good to celebrate, you know, God's faithfulness. Um, you know, and, and the faithful people like Mary and one or two others who managed to go out uh, a couple of times a month um, and, and serve. We, we partner with with a couple of other churches. We partner with the Catholic Church, St. Joseph's, and we, we partner with the Methodist Church. So we do some weeks, and they do some weeks. Um, but between us, uh, there is food that is uh, going out to those who, who need it, who are uh, sleeping. And the Lord cares about the poor. But all of those, and that includes us, all of us are those to whom God says, I'm going to make them oaks of righteousness. It's interesting, as we're going through this series on Isaiah and all of these people that we are concerned about, the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the prisoners, the mourning, the grieving. Guy, I went yesterday, Teresa and I and Christine, we went across to Exeter and, uh, and Guy Miller, who heads up our family of churches, was speaking. And I actually managed to kind of sort of catch five minutes with Guy. Uh, I've invited him to come and speak here and he said he'd love to. Um, 
uh, you know, I was thinking it might be maybe in a, you know, couple, a year, year and a half's time or something with his time. So he said, well, actually, I've got a few dates. He said, if you contact my PA, he said, I think I might be able to f- do something this year, which would be great if we can get Guy to come and speak. Well, I know he's very busy, but it'd be good to hear from Guy. And for him to see our building, the last time he came, we were in Cineworld, so he's not actually been here in this building, um, and it'd be good for him to see that. And, but he later on had a word for you know, he said, I've got a word for you, Mick, and really not for me, but for us as a church. And, um, and the word was, he saw a red carpet being rolled out. And on this red carpet, he felt that we would be taking, I think the word he used was disadvantaged people, people who are disadvantaged, and taking them along this red carpet into the very throne room of God. And, and, and the word was also that it wasn't, necessarily people that we were aware of, people that we knew particularly. It might not be people that we had particularly put a lot of input into, but these people would come and would come along this red carpet into the very throne room of God. And that's interesting, of course, because a few years ago we had, we had particularly words, from, again, from Isaiah, when it talked about, um, you know, we look around and we see, where did all these people come from? Who bore me these, was the word in Isaiah. Where did they come from? Where did all these people come from? And, and kind of that sense of this red carpet with people that we hadn't necessarily inputted much into ourselves, but suddenly God is at work. Uh, and I thought that kind of tied in very well with you know, previous words we'd heard in the past. So anyway, that's, that was God you know, speaking to us, I believe, yesterday through Guy. Uh, and it's good to know that God knows us. Of course we know he knows us, but he does know us. And sometimes he just wants to emphasize that. Okay. So as I read this scripture, I pick up on four things. I pick up on the word oaks. I pick up on the word righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and for the display of his splendor. Four things. Actually, there is a fifth thing. And the fifth thing is, who's going to call them oaks of righteousness? They shall be called oaks of righteousness. Well, who's going to call us oaks of righteousness? And again, it doesn't actually say, it's not specific. Is it God who's going to call us that? Is it other people who are going to call us oaks of righteousness looking in? It doesn't tell us. But all I know is, if God says it in his Bible, then it's true. We will be called oaks of righteousness. I'm not sure who's telling, calling us that. Um, I guess God is calling us that because that's how God sees us. We know that, don't we? We know that however we feel about ourselves, if we've come to Jesus, God sees us as something quite different. God sees us through the lens of Jesus. God sees us as righteous, not because of any righteousness of our own, but because of him. But anyway, let's move on. It's an interesting thing, I think, to put together oaks and righteousness. Going the wrong way. I know it's uh, just gone on to. I don't know if this because no, it should normally work. Okay, not to worry. I can manage without. Okay, oak. Good. Okay. Good. You could say of someone, I guess, he's an oak. 
You know, and if he's, he's, he's an oak, you would think he's solid. He's, you know, he's strong. You could say of someone, he's an oak, and it might mean, you know, solid, tough, mature. Oak trees are known for their long life, their hard wood, their strength. They can grow tall and they can grow wide. Um, and, you know, and that can apply to us. We can be tough, we can be hard, we can be strong. And it can apply physically. Tony is tall, and many of us are wide. Yeah. <laughs> um, tall and wide. <laughs> so these sorts of characteristics, we can think, you know, you could call someone oak, an oak. You know, that person's like an oak. And that would mean something. Actually, if you look at oaks, they have a, they're very interesting in Scripture. They were known as places of spiritual significance. In the Old Testament, if you read through the Old Testament, oaks were often places of spiritual significance. Okay, there were burials that took place at oaks. In, uh, in Genesis 35, there are two burials. One is a burial of some illicit um, treasure, the treasure of various false gods that they had accumulated, and, they, and God said, get rid of them. And so they buried it under a tree. Like, buried it, it's dead now. We're not going to count that as being important. They buried it under a tree, under an oak tree. Uh, I think Deborah, who was the nurse of Rebecca in that story, she's buried under an oak tree. So they were places of burial. They were significant places. Uh, there was an angel appearance underneath an oak. Uh, an angel appeared to Gideon in Judges, uh, and he sat under an oak tree with Gideon. They are places of significance in Scripture. The, the, the hearers of this word in their day would have understood oaks. Joshua had a covenant agreed under an oak, and he set up a stone of a covenant under an oak in, jo in Joshua 24. And throughout scriptures, there are various instances where uh, not good worship, but idol worship took place under oak trees. Um, there was kind of sexual immorality and pagan sacrifice, sometimes even sacrifice of children. And they would often take place under an oak tree. Oak trees carried a, a spiritual significance. And you can see those Isaiah 129, Isaiah 59, 17, and Ezekiel 6.13. You'd see references to oak trees. In fact, I'm going to read Isaiah 29 and 30. It says, you will be ashamed. This is right at the beginning of Isaiah, right at the beginning of Isaiah's prophecy. Now, we're reading, our, our series is right towards the end, Isaiah 61. But here's the contrast right at the beginning. You will be ashamed because of the sacred oaks in which you have delighted. You will be disgraced because of the gardens that you have chosen. Um, ooh. Ooh. That's gone really wonky. Um, bop, 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 bop. Going the wrong way. Um, no. It's a bit weird. Okay. I'll read it from here. 
You will be disgraced because of the gardens you have chosen. You will be like an oak with fading leaves, like a garden without water. That was the word that came to the people right at the beginning. It wasn't a good word. The, the, the connotation of oaks was not a good connotation for them at the beginning. We, however, it says elsewhere in Scripture, in Psalm, verse one, uh, Psalm 1, verse 3, it says, you will be like a person, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. We will be those planted by a stream of water, yielding fruit in season. Our leaf will not wither, and whatever we do will prosper. That's who we are in Jesus. But this word was to them, it said something quite different. So, at the beginning of Isaiah's prophecy, oaks are mentioned, but not in a good way, which makes their mention in Isaiah 61 even more significant because it's completely changed from Isaiah 61 to what we're hearing, sorry, from Isaiah chapter 1 to what we're hearing in Isaiah chapter 61 as a complete change. Similarly, we could call someone a righteous man. We say he's righteous. And by that, I suppose that we would mean that he's of godly character, he's upright, perhaps even holy. Um, whatever characteristics you might associate with the word righteous. You could call someone righteous. And the first mention of the word righteousness occurs in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, and it says this, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. This was, of course, before any law was given. The law came with Moses long after Abraham. Abraham was not made righteous because of his obedience to the law, Abraham was righteous because he believed God. And there's no sense here of righteousness being linked to obedience to laws or to upright behavior. And this, this lack of a link between righteousness and behavior is underlined in the New Testament. Galatians 2.21 says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be obtained, could be gained, if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Good, it's come up, didn't I say Thank you. You know, throughout history... And even today, and sometimes even amongst Christians, righteousness is seen as something that we do, something we attain to, 
by our behavior. That's what we think righteousness is. It's something to do with how we behave. But that's not how Abraham attained righteousness. And it's not how Paul says we attain righteousness. If we can move on one slide, if it's going to work. Righteousness is not, a, is not linked to behavior, but to belief. Now, if we can do the first half of that slide, if it's going to play ball... Hey, good. Okay. I'm going to read you something that is not Matthew 21, 32. What it's not is, Jesus said to the Pharisees, for John came to you to show you the way of righteousness. He did say that. But you did not change your behavior. The tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and change your behavior. That's not what Matthew 21, 32 says. That's not what Jesus said. Second half of the thing. Jesus said to the Pharisees, for John came to you to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Now, John showed the way of righteousness. What did John do? He said, after me is coming someone whose shoes I can't, I can't even untie. He pointed to Jesus. He came to prepare a way for Jesus. That's what John did. He was preparing a way for Jesus. He was pointing to Jesus. He called them to repentance, but he pointed to Jesus. Another, if I just move on one more, he said... Um, this is probably gone off the bottom, so I might need to read the bottom bit. Um, he said to uh, some, Jesus, another time when he spoke to the Pharisees about righteousness, he told them this, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. Now, Tax collectors were like the enemy. They, they, they were kind of like, you know, in the war, you've got the collaborators in France. You know, the, those who were French people, they were collaborating with the Germans in, in that war there. Um, and tax collectors were seen like that. They were collaborating with uh, the Romans. Okay, in war situations, these sorts of things happen. But they were collaborating. And so it said... To some who were confident, um, sorry, just one was a Pharisee, another a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, 
and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Luke 18, 9-14. And remember the simple explanation of the word justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned, justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. So, so, you know, this tax collector, it was just as if he had never sinned. He knew that he had to be utterly dependent upon God, not on himself, not on anything he could bring to the party. No, it was all on God to be made acceptable to God. It was all of God. And because of this, it was like he had never sinned. Jesus said, which is one more screen, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now the reason I bring this is because I think we can get taken in by external appearances of what righteousness looks like. They did in Jesus' day. That, when Jesus said that, that was very shocking to the disciples because they thought, well, the Pharisees, I mean, they're the really godly people. They're the really holy ones. It'd be a bit like saying, unless your righteousness exceeds that of um, the Archbishop of Canterbury, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's, not, he's a good bloke, so I'm not sort of... <laughs> he's all right. He's okay. He's good. But you know what I mean? That's the kind of impact that it would have had. The, the Pharisees really were seen as being the pinnacle of what it meant to be holy and following God. And Jesus said, unless your righteousness is better than theirs, you won't get to heaven. Because we can look at externals of what holiness looks, time, looks like. And I think sometimes even we as Christians can be taken in by a false appearance of godliness. Just as the ordinary people in Jesus' day would have held up the Pharisees as good examples of righteousness, so I think we can also hold up wrong examples of mature spirituality. We can get taken in by externals. We can, we can admire spirituality that appears very spiritual. Very spiritual. Okay, if you could just move... Yeah. Don't be taken in by false spirituality. Don't get taken in by externals. You know, we probably wouldn't get taken in by legalism. Legalism would not appeal to us particularly much. But, you know, I've found over, over many years of, of leading churches and being in eldership in churches, I've found that it's very easy for people to get taken in by legalism. We wouldn't get, uh, by, by, by false spirituality, we wouldn't get taken in by legalism. But you know, give us someone who hears more words from God than Billy Graham and the Pope put together, and we're kind of hooked. We think, oh, aren't they spiritual? And you know, and we've got to be careful not to be taken in by outward spiritual appearances. You know, if someone's to, given to hearing from the Holy Spirit, and I've met some of these people across the churches. Um, often they're not part of a church. They, they, they hear words from the Holy Spirit, but they claim that the Holy Spirit said they don't need to meet with other Christians. They don't need to recognize the authority of leaders in the churches. Well, don't be taken in by them. 
because they've heard no such thing. Because Hebrews 10.25 says, don't give up meeting together. And Hebrews 13.17 says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. So when people claim to be spiritual and claim to be hearing words from God, but aren't even doing the basics of what it says in Scripture, don't listen to them. They're not spiritual. Andy Phillips reminded us of that last week, about the need to value who we are as a local church. But it's very easy to get taken in by false spirituality. And I'm bringing that to us as a church, as a, as a warning. You know, if someone's given to hearing, they say, from the Holy Spirit, but is constantly moving on from one thing to the next, you know, don't be taken in. You know, you, you'll have met people. You know, one minute, the Holy Spirit has told them to become a songwriter. And the next day, they've stopped being a songwriter because the Holy Spirit has told them to pray for revival in outer Mongolia. And tomorrow, he's going to tell them to do something else. You know, you'll have met people like that as well. Don't listen to them. Don't be taken in. That's not spirituality. You know, 1 Samuel 15, 29 says, Who is the glory of... Sorry, he who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind. He's not a human being that he should change his mind. You know, if people are hearing from God, there will be a sense of ongoing faithfulness in that. It won't be doing this and then doing that and thinking, no, no, I think I've heard this. God says this now. He's changed his mind. No. So let's not have a misguided view of spirituality and righteousness and see it as a thing that only a few people can attain to, a few people who are sort of, you could say, the saying goes, being so heavenly minded as to be of no earthly use. We want to be those that, that can be built upon. Righteousness is given so that we can live lives that please God and serve his purposes. And we see it in, this, in, in Jesus' time People had a wrong perception of righteousness. It was looking at externals. We can do exactly the same in our day, but it'd be slightly different. We're looking at, if you like, spirituality, not legalism. But we want to know what, what true righteousness is and live in accordance with that. And if we can move a screen on. More amazing, I think, than us being made righteous was this incredible exchange that took place on the cross. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That exchange, you know, we've got, well, our youth club is called Exchange. And that's the reason why there is this exchange that takes place at the cross. We give God our sin, and he gives us his righteousness. It's not fair, is it? It's not fair. It's not right. But that's what happened. That's what God has done for us. So when we say we will be called oaks of righteousness, this is why. Because this is what God has done. He's done it through the cross. That's how God has made it possible.
for us to be called oaks of righteousness. Okay, so let's look back at this text very quickly. Move on one screen. We're not just righteous, but we're oaks of righteousness. So the hearers of the day, as I've already indicated, the impact of this expression would not be lost on them. They would have understood the significance of oak trees, places of spiritual significance. They would remember that at the start of his prophesying, Isaiah was describing them as oaks with fading leaves on account of the immorality that, that went on in the sacred oaks. Now he's saying to them, you'll be called oaks of righteousness. That's the difference. That's a, trans- that's, that's a completely different picture. Oaks with fading leaves, but now oaks of righteousness. But not, and not just any oaks of righteousness, but a planting of the Lord. You know, oaks, as I say, to us carries ideas of strength and usability. We build with oaks. For many years we built ships with oaks. Even now we can build uh, wooden uh, frames for buildings with oak. We can build with oak. Oak is strong. Oak is tough. Oak resists uh, infection, you know, um, insect infection. It's, it's a strong material. We're people that God can build with. We can be dependable. We can be strong. We can be lasting. We can be persevering. It's all his doing. It's all for the display of his glory for his splendor we are the planting of the Lord he is the gardener he is the one who's working in us and working on us do you know God's working on you he's working on you but he's also working in you and through you Once they were told they would be disgraced because of the gardens that they had chosen. They'd chosen gardens that they were going to frolic around in, in immorality. Um, And now, they're being chosen as a garden. They are the garden, and God is the gardener. What a transformation. And it's all for his glory, for the display of his splendor. Let's move on, last screen. Our behavior will not affect our righteousness. But our righteousness will affect our behavior. Our behavior will not affect our righteousness. But our righteousness, and when I say our righteousness, I mean His righteousness that is given to us, so now it's ours, he's given it to us, but it came from him, it was his righteousness, we've now got that righteousness, that will affect our behavior. As God is at work in us and gives us righteousness, it begins to affect our behavior. That's a strong statement, and it could be misinterpreted. Our behavior will not affect our righteousness. 
But who agrees here? God has said you're righteous. Okay? Who here never sins? Okay? We all sin. I sin, you sin, but I believe God has made me righteous. So my sin has made no bearing on the fact that God has made me righteous. I know that there are flaws in my life. I know there are things I do wrong. I know there are things I think wrong. I know there are things that I don't do that I should do. And you're exactly the same. Yeah? But I know that God says I'm righteous. So my behavior has not detracted from God's righteousness given to me. And in the same way, my good behavior, oh, I've been good for, you know, I've, I've, not, I've not said anything bad about anybody, I've not thought a nasty thought, um, I've not done a nasty deed, but in a moment I'm going to get up. Um, you know, um, I might have gone for, I might have gone, who knows, two hours, three hours, and not done anything wrong. Consciously. But at the end of those three hours, I'm no more righteous than I was at the start. Because my righteousness is not dependent on what I've done or what I haven't done. I can't add to my righteousness. I can't take away from my righteousness. God has said I'm righteous. God has said, you're an oak of righteousness. Your behavior does not affect that. Your behavior will not affect your righteousness, but righteousness will affect your behavior. The fact that God is in you, the fact that God has made you righteous, you know what? It begins to work out in your life. It begins to make changes. You're set free from the law of sin and death, the scriptures tell us. We're set free. We've been made righteous. And it begins to have an effect on our behavior. We don't do the things that we used to do. Um, Jeff is not with us this morning, but you know, I remember Jeff saying a, a while ago, he told us all, he said, you know, when he became a Christian, without realizing it, he suddenly stopped. He, he said, actually, he'd become addicted to um, prescription painkillers. He was completely addicted to them, couldn't live without them. And he said, just went. He was no longer addicted to prescription pain. He wasn't even aware of it. It's not like something, oh, I'm going I'm to break this habit. No, no. It just happened. The life of God came in. The addiction went. You know, and, and other people report, you know, became a Christian, stopped swearing. Um, whatever it might be, there might be other things that people report that when they became Christians, something was different and something stopped happening that once used to happen and now they feel better. And that, that does not improve their righteousness, but it, it's an effect of their righteousness. We're righteous. We're righteous. God has made you righteous. Be assured of this. God is at work in you. He has made you righteous. If you've believed in the Lord Jesus, and as I say, it's all about belief, it's not about behavior. If you've believed on the Lord Jesus to take away your sins, to give you new life then you're righteous. He's done it. You can be free from sin. You can be in a relationship with Jesus by believing in him, believing that God has sent Jesus into this world to die for our sins. 
We gave him our sins on the cross. He gave us his righteousness. That was the exchange. That's what took place on the cross. Every sin we've ever done has been placed on him. And you know what? He wants you to partner with him in this wonderful gospel and do the works that he does. He could do it all on his own. That was what Adrian was saying a few weeks ago when Adrian Burks came here. He said, God could do it all on his own. He could have just done it. He, could have just, he just could have made a whole nation of godly people. But he didn't. He started with, um, with Abraham and Sarah and made the nation of Israel. That's how God works. And he works with you and me. He works taking hold of people like you and me and be beginning to use us to filter into our environment. Often we're described as yeast, you know, like yeast bubbling up in, 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 in flour and stuff and making bread. That's how we're described. He wants to partner with you. You're part of the picture. How crazy is that? How, how amazing is that? That God wants to make you righteous. God wants to make me righteous. It's incredible, isn't it? How crazy is it? God wants to use you for his purposes. God wants to use me for his purposes in the earth. How amazing is that? You know, but it's the truth because God is the God of the impossible. It seems impossible. It seems impossible that God can do with us anything, quite honestly. How can God use me in any way whatsoever? How can God use us in any way whatsoever? But actually, because of him, he uses us for his kingdom purposes in this earth. And we can be those who partner with God. We can be those who work and do the things that God wants us to do. Not to earn brownie points with God. We don't need, we've got all the brownie points we need with God already. We've got all the righteousness we need with God already. It's been given to us. They'll be called oaks of righteousness. Didn't do anything to earn it. We'll be called oaks of righteousness. We believed on Jesus. We'll be called oaks of righteousness. But he wants to use us and work with us. We want to see this red carpet unrolled in this place. Clash with the colour scheme. Um, We want to see a red carpet unrolled. And we want to see people walking along this red carpet into the very throne room of God. Do we not? That's what we want to see, people coming in, into the very presence of God, finding Jesus as their saviour, finding life in him. That's what we want to see. Mike, have you got, you come up and, let's just finish, let's just finish with a prayer. If you don't know Jesus, or this is all news to you, I didn't know that actually Jesus wants to take my sin away from me, I didn't know that I can be made right with God and I'd like to know a bit more, then you can come and see me and I'll talk to you um, and, um, and help you on that journey. Okay? Um, don't leave this place. If you, if you don't know Jesus and you want to know a bit more about how this journey happens, come and talk to me. I'm just going to pray. Father, thank you that you've given us a righteousness that is completely from Jesus. Mm completely because of who we believe in, not what we do. 
because if it was depending on what we would do, we know we wouldn't last very long. But it's all to do with what we've believed and in whom we have believed. We've believed in Jesus, the one and only Son of God, our Saviour, our Redeemer, the mm. one who went to the cross, took our sins upon himself and rose again into heaven to prove that he was God <coughs> and to prove that our sins are forgiven. So we come to you, Jesus. Use us, we pray. Fulfill your words to us, Lord. Fulfill this red carpet word in our day, mm. in these days ahead, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.